Canucks Central Wednesday, Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We are a presentation of Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service and friendly advice waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Lots to come on the program as uh, we will get into the pregame show coming up after 6.30 tonight. But until then, lots of Canucks conversations, including... Are there similarities from this Canucks team to the one that Mike Gillis took over in the summer of 2008? Uh, we will get to all of that. Kevin Woodley will join us later this hour. Irfan Gaffar in hour two of the program. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll never miss any of our exclusive interviews, our inside info, any of it, and all of my bad jokes. Sat, what's happening? What's going on, Reach? Waiting for your next bad joke. Ah, uh, there's there's lots of them. What fruit is never alone? Cherries. A pear. <laughs> That's a dad joke <laughs> and a half right there. It's not very good. <laughs> I told you it was bad. I pre-warned you. All right. There's this uh, TikTok account where this dude just reads uh, dad jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he just cracks up laughing. And he's I think he's like Scottish or Irish or something. And so it's, it's just funny because of the because accent. Of his, and when he's just him laughing the whole time. Yeah. So you might have a future on TikTok. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I'm here Outside all week. Of, Try the veal. Not just Italian pronunciations. Uh, all right. So uh, the name in the news today. Brock Besser. Mm. Uh, we've talked a lot about Besser on this program and, you know, we've told you in the past that, uh, the number is probably going to be in and around six. Should you re-sign Besser? He's been very public about his want to stay in Vancouver and yet his name won't come out of the rumor mill and... To this point, it doesn't seem as though there's been any substantive contract discussions as we talked about yesterday with David Pinota on this program. What's the deal with Brock Besser right now and how the Canucks are handling this situation? I've seen a lot of stuff come out today, right, about, yeah. hey, you know, Brock Besser. If there's somebody that gets traded, it's Brock Besser. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to happen. And we'll see ultimately if, you know, if something does happen by the deadline. And we'll talk here about the Penguins' interest and uh, connections that Rick Dollywall spoke about today too. But as much as the talk around Besser is pretty strong, I'm still not convinced if a guy goes, it's necessarily him that goes. I'm still not convinced it's going to 100% happen. I still, uh, I still find it hard to when... Uh, Jim Rutherford, like I keep going back to what Jim Rutherford's first initial thoughts were about this team, and he was very open about it. But, you know, he mentioned there would be change. You're not a playoff team, and you're up against the cap. That's not a good situation to be in. We have to get younger. So in that mold, it's always been the idea of if you're moving one of Besser or Miller or Garland – who's the older one of those three, and it's Miller. So it's part of the reason I've always felt as though Miller may end up being the one to go when they eventually do make these changes. But I think with Besser, the thing we do the most with him is focus on 
what we thought he would be rather than what he is and how good of a player he has become. And that's it's hard for Besser because after his rookie year, massive expectations were put on what he would be as a player. And he still developed into a pretty valuable piece, just not one that is a 40-goal scorer. And also, to be fair, not providing the value that a $7.5 million qualifying offer may suggest. Well, the 7.5 figure, yeah, right? I just don't see that being, like, as much as the, the combo is around the $7.5 million figure, and, and I get it, I don't know if that's really an issue as far as trying to keep him. We've talked so much about the conversations, the desire mm-hmm. uh, for him to stay here. He's expressed it. And we talked to Ian Mac- McIntyre about this as well. And he, and he mentioned, it's like, there's probably an understanding here that if he does not get moved, it will not be hard to figure out something that works for both sides. Yeah. And I think there's an understanding that it won't be 7.5. And I think Besser's camp also understands that. The question really comes down to what's going to happen by the deadline and then past that point, how confident do you feel about where things are trending and what happens with his long-term future in Vancouver. But the conversation, like you kind of mentioned, to me comes down to people obsessing about what Besser can't do as opposed to what he can do. And that's really, to me, been the most interesting part of how this has kind of evolved He's not, a, he's not a guy that drives a line by himself. That's a, that's a common criticism for Brock Besser. His pace isn't good enough. Something That's also a common yeah. criticism for Brock Besser. And ultimately, is he going to produce high enough for you to feel comfortable for him to be here long term and him staying healthy? Those are kind of the other question marks around Brock Besser. But what about the things he does do well? which is have a solid, strong two-way profile, been one of the better players around the league to win board battles, right? And he does give you a high-level production no matter what. And you see the consistency in his per-game point totals over the course of his career, right? And having guys that usually play at a 30-goal pace and 65-plus points, they are hard to find. And if you get one of those guys locked up to a contract around $6 long-term and they outproduce those numbers, that's a really nice player to have. So... Why, or not why, we all understand why, but where's the bigger value? You trading Besser because he doesn't give you the things you want or holding on to him because of all the things he does that he doesn't get enough credit for. And ultimately, that's the decision management has to make. And if he does get moved, it clearly is going to be for a defenseman. Yeah. And not just a defenseman, a good defenseman. And one that's probably already playing at the NHL level and playing at a decent level uh, within the National Hockey League. So, you know, I think of all those things, and I've long said, you know, I'd, I'd definitely sign up for Brock Besser at $6 million. If this is his floor as a season, right, because he's not had a great year, he's at least production-wise, um, if this is his floor... Are you okay with that if the price is $6 million? You know, his price isn't too far from that right now. Are you okay with the season he's having right now if you're giving him $6 million? You, I mean, this year, this is kind of the baseline year. Yeah. It can't be below this. 
Yeah. You can't be below, you know, about 60 points, 27, 28 goals, close to 30. If you're getting 6 million, you can't produce below that, right? I mean, the guys who get 6 million are guys that get you about 30 goals per year. That's kind of the way I look at it. What does Bester ultimately get paid for? It is to score goals and be a good offensive player. Guys that get sixes and above either play a premium position and do so well or at least score a bit. And to me, 30 is kind of the minimum. Yes, he's got to be about a 30-goal scorer if he's getting paid six, six million. And you'll feel fine for that because that's fair value for a guy that gets you 30 goals. But can you do that consistently? And as much as there's talk about the trade stuff, and hey, ultimately we'll see what happens. Nobody knows yeah. what this front office is going to do. But if he gets moved, it will be for a defenseman. That's, and I think it's been pretty evident now, that if the Canucks are moving a top-end guy, they want a player who fits in the age group of this team and is a top-four defenseman. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of things that I think about with that. And it's, you know, okay, if you're moving Besser, who else is staying? Does that change your mind on Miller? Uh, how do you um, rejig the defense? Assuming you're bringing a defenseman in, somebody on the defense is going to have to go out. So, like, there's a lot of dominoes that were to happen mm-hmm. should you make that sort of a move. But... Uh, the big worry everybody would have or should have is you're trading Besser and, you know, he goes to Pittsburgh, starts playing with Sidney Crosby, and you see, like, the real Brock Besser come out right. and, and a guy that can score 35, maybe touch 40 for a season or two or get really close to it. And then it's like you really regret making that decision. So it's got to be a really good defenseman coming back. One that you can see here for a long time and being a top four piece for a long time. Preferably one, like if I'm moving Besser, and I said this in the past, I, I'm I'm thinking of it more as a hockey trade than yeah. a futures trade. Whereas Miller, I think, ends up being more of a futures deal. But... If I'm moving Besser, I want a guy that's coming straight into my lineup, and that's why I can see the Pittsburgh rumors, especially when John Marino is... <laughs> He's being thrown out there, yeah. Is being thrown out there as uh, the potential piece coming back. Very well. Very well done. I yeah. mean, everybody's out here saying Marino. It's <laughs> it's Marino. You know, anyways. I bet you he doesn't even say that himself. No, he probably. doesn't. Probably not. For sure. No. <laughs> but <laughs> I, the one thing I will say, though, uh, about the whole Brock Besser thing, I think you're bang on about you're not trading a player who's 25 years old and two years from UFA yeah. for futures. Yeah. You're not, you're not trading a 25-year-old player for first-round pick and a prospect. It doesn't make sense, right? If you are moving Miller, and I still think if they do, the preference would be to get a good defenseman back, whatever that is, prospect or a guy that can play. But you are more interested in futures, right, because of the age of the player and how everybody else kind of breaks in. To me, it makes no sense to trade Besser at 25 with two years of control yeah. just to get cap space and to get younger. Because then you still have to replace that player. And if you're moving a forward for another winger, it doesn't quite make a lot of sense. But does it make a sense for a defenseman? And if you get the right defenseman, I don't, do you worry too much about which forward you traded if the guy fits in long-term and makes your team better? We, we've talked about, okay, this team is not going to be taking this you know, long rebuild to get better. But re- realistically, they'll have to make some sort of a bold move to improve the defense. They'll have to shift assets from one point to another. Now, usually you have three different options. Trading players who are under contract that are assets, trading draft picks, or signing players as free agents. 
Well, the Canucks ain't got cap space. Yeah. Right? And they don't want to be trading prospects and draft picks to getting to be getting better right now. So all you can do is trade players off your roster to get better. And you're not finding a top four defenseman by trading guys like Hamannick and Pullman and Dickinson, if you can even find takers for them, let alone guys like Tanner Pearson and so on. Sure, Pearson's an asset, but he's not getting you what you're looking for, right? No. So if you're dead set on getting another defenseman, it's going to have to come via trade. I don't think you worry about what you give up, as long as it's not like, say, you know, Hughes, Pedersen, or Demko, if you get a guy who's a legit top four defenseman who's going to grow with this team for six or seven years. Yeah. And you'll look back at this and say, now you have Hughes, you have this other guy they traded for, and with guys like OEL and some other space, all of a sudden that defense is really solid. Not that you're one defenseman away, but you're one legitimate top four defenseman away from all of a sudden having three strong cornerstones on your back end. So the connection with Pittsburgh... Uh, Derek Clancy seen scouting the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday. The Canucks AGM formerly with the Penguins organization. Of course, the connection with Alvin and Jim Rutherford also still very much exists and is top of mind as well. And there's always been a thought, hey, if the Canucks are going to swing a deal here, why wouldn't Pittsburgh be one of the areas that they look at since they know the organization so well and probably have some kind of affinity to some of the players within that organization. But it's also a situation where John Marino, Marino, um, like Peter and Cloverdale said, after hearing Riccio say, Marino, I don't want him, (laughs) Peter and Cloverdale. So he's out. Uh, I'm going to need Reach to stop acting like a dollar store Italian low in Vancouver. Man, you read it. That's a good one. It's funny. Um, funny as a ha ha funny. <laughs> um, but John Marino, like also like you heard Josh Yo on the people show yesterday. They played a clip actually just before we came on, but not exactly having a standout year. Where, you know, he had that incredible rookie year, gets this big contract, and now seeing some flaws in his game or really just not the shine's wearing off a little bit. Right. Uh is is I guess the best way to put it. So it's kind of as if you're trading player on a down year for a player on a down year. I get that there's an easy link there. I just, this feels more like a summer deal than a trade deadline deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, right? Let's just say for argument's sake. Yeah. Pittsburgh is willing to trade Marino. Who are they replacing him with on their blue line? I don't know. Right? I mean, okay. Hypothetical, right? This is totally hypothetical. But like... If you're doing something in season, you probably have to give them Luke Shen. Yep. And Shen's not giving; he's not going to be able to replace Marino's minutes. But he's a he's a guy who can play on your right side, right? Mm-hmm. Has experience, has toughness, and a guy that a guy like Brian Burke would like, of course, right? So you'd probably have to have Luke Shen in the deal. Do you do something like that? But is that even enough? That to me, it, it screams of an off season deal. You're right. Like if you're moving. Marino, if you're Pittsburgh, how how are you doing that in season? Especially when it's everything is money in and money out, yeah. like dollar in, dollar out. It's really hard to uh, replace Marino right now if you're Pitts- Pittsburgh. Like there, 
They've got Latang on the right side, Marino, and then Chad Ruedel. You know, and we've seen Chad Ruedel help in a uh, Stanley Cup run before in a pretty right. big role. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that would be something that they are really interested in, and they don't have to do that in the immediate term. So a, a lot of this stuff does feel like preparation for a potential off-season deal if it were to happen. Is Marino even enough for Brock Besser in return? Like, Do you think that's a fair deal, or is that one where it's you're pro- passing up a 30-goal scorer for a top-four defenseman, but a guy that you know, doesn't have the same type of impact that Besser could potentially have? I mean, sure, Uh you can look at it that way and say, "Hey, is he good enough for you or not?" But let's not forget if you're if you're not moving Pedersen or say even JT Miller or say Bo Horvat, Besser and Garland don't have the same value as those other guys do. Yeah. So if you're moving those players, you're probably not getting you know a, a higher degree defenseman than those types of players, right? And Marino's a good guy, but he's a second pairing D man. He's not a top pairing D man, right? He's not a guy that's going to anchor your first pair. But if he plays, if he fits the role long term, then I think you can live with it. Even if he goes and explodes somewhere else, because you're at some point, if you're making that type of deal, it's because you're addressing another need somewhere else, and it's going to be painful to yeah. some degree. Like you're not going to be able to pull off. Like um, the only thing that could happen is unless Rutherford pulls off a type of deal where he finds the next John Marino and trades away a late round pick. Yeah. That's the only other way you find a top end guy is if you hit the jackpot somehow. I think you uh, you look at the the a player like Marino and you're like, if that guy fits next to Quinn Hughes for a number of years, then we've got our top pair figured out. Because what's becoming clear, and I thought it was a great point by you, showing kind of how the pairing of Shen. Yeah. And Hughes have kind of regressed recently. Mm-hmm. And, hey, they were playing really well. But at some point, it's just, yeah. you well, know, Quinn like, even talked about it yesterday. We haven't been playing as well lately as we were earlier on in the season. That's a great stopgap. Yeah. Right? It's a great stopgap. Having Luke Shen makes a lot of sense. But it's not a long-term fixture, right? It's a good guy to have on your team. He helps your depth. He can play with Quinn, Quinn when need be. And there are a lot of uh, valuable intangibles that he brings to the team. But that's not going to be a long-term fixture. If we if we head into next season and the plan is to have Luke Shen and Quinn Hughes play together, you did not make enough moves in the offseason to address your blue line. Uh, let's go. Uh, you know what? We don't often do this, but Rob in Richmond wants to weigh in on the uh, Besser to Pittsburgh rumors. Rob, what do you have for us on Canuck Central? Uh, yeah, not uh, not too much. Thanks for the call here. I just, uh, I guess while I was waiting, you guys pretty well talked about but. Uh, I think I think Besser going to Pittsburgh will will be good for both because supposedly um, Marino is overpaid and uh, he's not performing up to up to par. Uh, similar with Besser here, and I mean, aren't aren't there salaries in the similar ballpark here? Uh, yeah, thanks for the call, Rob. Uh, the salary for Marino is four four, which is a very nice number. It's a very comfortable number, and it's. Signed for a long time. What next six years? He yeah. is under control uh, beyond this one. So that's a like a big pro for why you make the move um, for Marino. In that 
here's a player that you have cost certainty on. And again, I think if it fits with, if, if you believe that's a fit with Quinn Hughes for a lot of years, all of a sudden you've got your top pair figured out for a long time. And listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying to do the, let's throw names out here or whatever and, and everything like that, but uh, it's based on a report that Rick yeah. Dollywall had too about Besser and ties to the Pittsburgh Penguins and stuff like that. And I know you and I kind of talked about pre-show a couple shows ago about you know, Marino, Pittsburgh, you know, we've heard some things. Like, it, it can that kind of be a fit? Yes, as much as Bester seems to be the guy, could be Garland. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, th- that's why I let off the, the segment by saying, I know Bester's the name that's being talked about right now, but even if a trade happens with Pittsburgh, it may not be him. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens here. But my point is, they don't want to trade Bester unless they get a really good defenseman back in return and if they make a trade for a defenseman it's not necessarily going to be Brock Besser isn't that the feeling for any potential deal with the core it's like we're open to listening and discussing but we're not making that move unless we feel great about what's coming back right I don't know if earlier in the season they would have been more open to moving a Miller for futures or anything like that. I think you've been pretty steadfast in saying they want younger players that are kind of NHLers already, you know, and like this doesn't, it's never smelt like a long-term type of turnaround that they are aiming for with the new front office. So maybe this run has, as I said yesterday, all it's done for me is just embolden them to sit back and wait for an offer that they truly believe in. And you can say that about any team, any organization, like, yeah, they're not going to move any player unless they they really, really feel good about what's coming back. And, of course, you're not making those trades unless you have that. But the Canucks do have time on their yeah. side with all of these players, so they really don't have any incentive other than – feeling absolutely great about the return to make a deal. Well, and looking at Pittsburgh, as much as Besser, you know, as you know, makes sense as far as a player that can fit with that team, if you look at their contract situation though, Malkin UFA, Chris Latang UFA, San, uh Kasperi Kapanen RFA. I'll get to Kapanen here in a second. Yeah. But they got a lot of money to figure out about mm-hmm. what they want to do with those types of guys. And you want to add in another big RFA contract negotiation with a guy like Brock Besser into the fold, right? 4.4 versus 4.9, where I mentioned Garland. That number makes it a far easier type of swap. And if you look at valuations, what Marino's been and what kind of Garland's been, that seems like, to me, valuation-wise, a more fair bet. If I'm looking at, okay, what's a fair kind of return? I look at those two guys and I say, okay... That yeah. could be a, a fair swap, especially because Garland doesn't get used more than a middle as a mid middle six guy here. Doesn't play more than fifteen and a half minutes, barely sixteen sometimes, right? So, what do you if you're trading a good second line player who's more of a middle six guy usage wise by this team, and you get a guy who's a second pair guy making four point four? In theory, to me, that makes a lot more sense. The other side of this, too, though, is a guy like Kasperi Kapanen. Is Rutherford that, loves him. He does, and Rutherford loves Marino as well. Mm-hmm. And Kapanen is a guy that Brian Burke has recently singled out for all the wrong reasons and doesn't seem too keen on mm-hmm. giving in a contract extension to, who's RFA at the end of this year yeah. as well. 
And I know people text in, what, what about Travis Hamanick? If you really want to get big, sure. You can do like Hamanick, you can do Kapanen, you can do all that. But when you start adding that many pieces together, and you're talking about a 6-7 player deal in the middle of the season for a Penguins team that is doing really well this year, are they looking to make that big of a shakeup? Yeah. That's tough. Because that, that's a big... If you're taking... If they're moving Marino and Kapanen to, you know, top four guy, top six forward... Yeah. That, that's a pretty big deal in season to make for a team that's sitting in a pretty good spot. The interesting thing about Kapanen, and I've said this before, he's kind of a helicopter. You can put him with anybody and he's going to do the same thing that he pretty much always does. But there's some, like, traits that he brings to a team that you might like. It's also... It would be a... Like, it's a second situation now where he's worn out his welcome. Now, he was traded to Toronto in the Phil Kessel trade, so he was essentially a future as a part of that deal. But in Toronto, he wore out his welcome, had, uh, I believe it was some late nights out that kind of got him into some trouble and stuff like that. Um, And now here in Pittsburgh, you're hearing the same kind of things. Uh, He's wearing out his welcome with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So... Is that a major red flag? Does he get on board for a couple of years? And that's that's kind of what you want, what you're looking for. Maybe he's got all the speed in the world. He can help out on the penalty kill. I know he hasn't really done that lately with Pittsburgh, but you know he's got some different elements to him, and he's a guy that pretty much no matter where you put him, he's going to score 15 to 20 goals and bring a bunch of speed to your lineup. Like yeah. that's, that's exactly what Kasperi Kapanen does. Well, you know, he's... I'm not trying to begrudge, begrudge him here, but he has a lot, some of the, some of the same issues guys like Vertanen had for a yeah. while. And I don't mean you know I'm just talking about strictly as players where yeah. they have a lot of talent skills, but the overall toolbox yes. and how to think the game, play with other players, is a bit of an issue. Same thing Anthony Declare had a lot of problems mm-hmm. with, and he's, you're like this guy skates, he can score, he does all these things. Why is he on waivers? Why is nobody signing him? It was a hard time for him to kind of fit in with a lot of skilled guys. He's figuring it out in a big way. He's going over uh, to the Florida Panthers, right? I mean, he's been a point-per-game guy. Duclair's been really good this year. He's trying to figure that stuff out. Is Kapanen able to figure that out, or is Kapanen always going to be that guy? An Anthony CU type, right? Speed, brings a lot of different things, but it's never really going to mesh. It's never going to really be a top-six guy. And as much as he brings speed and maybe plays on the PK for you, however... That Penguins team, the last couple of years, does not use Kasperi Kapanen on the PK. So if you're looking at the Penguins as a good PK team, Kasperi Kapanen has not been a part of that this season. Uh, I will not let you uh, besmirch the name of uh, good Woodbridge boy Andreas Athanasiu on this show. Hey, I, I, I love his speed, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, played with his brother in our old college days. Uh, Dimitri's a good good guy. Anyways. Uh, that's enough of me um, reminiscing on my lackluster college hockey career. <laughs> college, college by parentheses, yes, finger quotations, hockey college career. hockey. <laughs> I looked you up on hockey DEB. I didn't find you. Uh, yeah, uh, they didn't list Seneca College at York University. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Seneca College at York University. <laughs> Um, it is uh, Canuck Central. That's when I saw a, a University of, University of Miami yes. in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same thing. Uh, all right, coming up, uh, Kevin Woodley's going to join us. A lot of talk about Thatcher Demko today after practice, uh, how the Canucks are trying to manage him. 
How many of the seven-game homestand games could we see Demko in? Is it all of them outside of the back-to-back to end it? We'll talk to Woodley next on how to handle Thatcher Demko moving forward. It is Canuck Central. John Marino. Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are presented by your local Grip Auto Entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Love this text that came in from Justin. Uh, <laughs> it's quite the take. I do Carlo or Pesce for Besser. That's uh, from Justin. Justin. Carlo or Pesce. Good players. I like there's, Brett Pesce. There's no reason I, I picked out that text other than it was just a great take. How do you say Justin. Louis DeBrusque or, or Jake DeBrusque in, <laughs> in Italian? You don't. No. Okay. Somebody was, was asking us about training for Jake DeBrusque. That's why. <laughs> don't think that's happening. Uh, is Besser in a pick? I, I like Carlo and Pesce a lot. Um, I don't know if I'd do it for Besser. For either of them. Um, I, I just, I really like Besser as a player, and I think passing on him right now is ill-advised uh, unless you're really getting a, a high-end D-man. Is Besser in a pick enough for Chikrin? That's another text coming in, unsigned texter. Uh, probably not yeah. for Chikrin, given the price they've set for him, which is a, a high number. Yep. Had a couple of goals last night. I feel Chikrin, well, I feel Arizona is strictly looking for futures, um, but they do have to get to the floor at some point. At some point, you would think. <laughs> you know, so um, they they do need something on their roster. It's just, I think they're really looking at Chikrin to be the final piece that they move that gets them a significant futures haul. It, doesn't there come a point where you have too many draft picks? <laughs> well, I mean, they've I mean, got like what eight picks in the first two rounds over the next two seasons. I think they're fine with that, though, yeah. especially with them moving to ASU. And I mean, when all you got to do is convince four thousand people to show up to your games, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're trading know. for Weber's contract, aren't they? <laughs> it seems like they have no interest in icing a competitive hockey team anytime no. soon. That's what a scorched earth rebuild really looks like. Yes. I don't think any team in the NHL has ever gone this far. They're not only rebuilding; they're rebuilding their arena to the degree that they're stripping it down to four thousand. I'm still it blows my mind yeah. that an NHL team is going to have a have a arena that seats less than five thousand fans next season. Uh, it's eight picks in the first two rounds this year, not even over the next two seasons. <laughs> Uh, they have five second-rounders, including uh, the Canucks second-rounder for this season, the Arizona Coyotes, who will be playing in a college arena next year, at least as it currently stands, which is uh, very, very interesting. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Let's bring in our next guest, the goalie guru in Goal Magazine, NHL.com. It's Kevin Woodley. He joins us every Wednesday on Canucks Central. What's happening, Kevin? Not much. What better way to welcome the crop of fresh 18-year-old draft picks than to give them that 
freshman experience yeah. in Arizona. Like you just if you're just gonna go young, you might as well make them feel at home. Uh you wanna see Connor Bedard? You know, well uh <laughs> Connor Bedard, three thousand people in in the building to see his first NHL game. Uh, well, that, hey, listen, like, like he, he ch- this way, like, if you're Connor Bedard, it's like, hey, man, like, I chose the WHL instead of the NCAA, but now I get the full college experience. It's okay. <laughs> I get to live the best of both worlds. And that's, you're, hey, and that's, like, from what I hear, that's a hell of a college experience down there. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we love you, Woodley. Always glass half full. I, uh, this is, this is it. Um, All about that optimism, boys. That's it. Uh, so... Interesting comments from Boudreaux today on on Thatcher Demko in that Canucks are going to try and implement some some days off for him as he's just uh, wanting to work too hard, apparently, uh, getting in uh, really early for practice and things like that. D- do you think there's a risk of overworking Demko at all? I mean, there's always that risk, um, for sure. And, you know, I think, what is it, tonight? Tonight marks the... Uh the most games he'll have ever played in a season. Um, like we're, we're approaching that territory and I'm not even going to take credit for this. It was Thomas Drance talking as uh, we we're all sort of watching morning skate. I think he mentioned it like tonight's game appearance 46 and that's the most he's ever played. And so, you know, do we believe that Thatcher Demko is capable of more and of continuing this? Yes, but it's like everything else until you've done it, you haven't done it. And so once you enter uncharted territory for a goalie who, you know, I think, it's pretty clear at this point of a season playing as much as he has, everybody's playing through something, right? Like, so it's pretty clear that he's playing a little, um, I don't mean banged up like in, he's playing through an injury or anything, but I just mean like there's wear and tear at this point of the year. And it's how you manage that. And one of the ways that you manage that is by spending a little less time um, adding to that wear and tear in practice. And this is part of the balance that every goaltender goes through when they're evolving into that number one role. I, I mean, I've had this conversation with so many goalies over the years. Corey Schneider, when he was here, when he started playing more, when he went to New Jersey and started playing more, like you lose that time to manage your game because you need it to manage your rest. And so you have to find that balance. And this is a goalie who, you know, to this point in his career has been able to spend all that extra time with Ian Clark to make sure that every detail stays sharp. Mm-hmm. All the new things he's learning over the years, you know, continue to be executed at a high level. And you're going to have to back off that at some point here in the next little bit so that you can just make sure all your energy is conserved for the game. And it becomes a tough balance to, to trust all those other elements will still be sharp when you're no longer able to commit the time to keeping them sharp the way you have before. And it's a learning process that, you know, he's going to have to go through here, probably has to an extent already a little mm-hmm. bit, but there haven't been a lot of days off, right? He was, he was there on Monday. He was there on Tuesday. Um, he was out early. Like, so um, it is a process and ultimately it's one that I think he'll get through no problem, but it's probably one he's going to have to go through because every guy does as they evolve into the number one. Well, absolutely, and I think we've kind of touched on it in the past that the ideal number is somewhere between 55, 57 starts for a starting goalie, which means you want a guy to be able to start at least 25 games for you. Halak's not doing that this year. Is there a guy in this organization, could Spencer Martin be that guy that can play 25 games, or do you think heading into the offseason, the Tux might be looking for somebody that can give Demko a rest that they're more confident in? It's a good question. 
I think the fact that they're going to be paying and still paying most likely the last two guys that they felt they needed for that situation would make them a little wary about investing in an experienced goaltender at a high cost to do that. I think there would be a trust factor. I mean, it's such a small sample, but I think you're better served to maybe at this point, you've seen that Demko can do it. Um, you know, again, we've still yet to get through the rest of the season, but he's shown so far he can manage this. Um, if you're not gonna, if you're not, if you don't need that type of guy, like find a guy who's hungry, who will like Spencer Martin did in the minors when he wasn't playing early, just went to work with Curtis Sanford so that when he did go in, he felt good about his game. And so they've gone a different route the past couple of years and it hasn't worked and they're probably going to be paying for it next year. And it's interesting that you say like, you know, you ideally you want a guy to play 25 games. Like ideally, I think Yaroslav Halak would have liked to have played 25 games. And ideally, I think you get a better Yaroslav Halak if you'd let him play 25 games. And let's not forget up until two starts ago, the New York Islanders game, we talked about this, and the numbers are burned into my head because I remember reciting them and then promptly having them all crumble in that Islanders game. But he had, like, his save percentage was, like, one point off Demko's going into that. His adjusted save percentage was, like, .1 off Demko's. Like, he was playing really well and yet was still on pace to play the fewest games he's played since 2013 or 2012-2013, which was, A, a lockout season, and, B, by the way, the last time he's been sub 900 is in, in his entire career. Like, so, you know, it's interesting. That may be the ideal, but you got to sort of ask yourself, like, are we ever going to get to the ideal? If what we need as an organization is for a guy to play at a level that you need a Thatcher Demko to reach to have a chance, you're going to, your tendency is going to be to play that guy more and more. And so why invest? Like, it, it leaves me scratching my head a little bit. Why invest in a guy who's been one of the best 1Bs in the league if you have no intention of using him as a 1B? And I think part of it is the regime before this one um, was so all in on this season that what they couldn't afford is the lack of experience costing them should Demko have run into injuries earlier in the year and you needed Halak for an extended period. But this is kind of the catch-22 now that they find themselves in. Like, if you're going to invest in a guy that, you know and has a track record of playing 25 games and being really good at it like they did with Halak, you got to pay for it. Um, but I th- hopefully by next year, because they obviously weren't last summer, they're willing to trust that Demko is our guy for 55 or 60 and we can rely on that and we don't need to invest so heavily in a backup or a 1B like they did with Halak, like they did with Holtby the year before, because all they're going to end up doing in both cases is paying both guys again next year and that actually probably makes it even more crucial that they find a low-cost option to back up Demko next season. Well, it is one of the like it is fascinating that Halak played so little because yeah, he was playing well up until those recent starts, as you mentioned. And like I get, you have extreme confidence in Thatcher Demko the way that he has been playing. But, you know, doesn't somebody have to be the voice of reason? Even if it's not going to happen this year, don't you want that in the future of somebody to say, hey, like, let's let's make sure we give Demko some some insured nights off? Well, and, and, and maybe so, but I guess, like, in the moment, right? Like, it's really easy for us to say that in retrospect. But, yeah. You know, we're, we're, you know, I mean, let's be honest. They did. They gave Yaroslav Halak a start in that, you know, amidst that brilliant, you know, the Boudreaux bump. Yeah. Right? Like, they gave him a start mm-hmm. in there. 
So, and, and I just think when you, they were so far behind the eight ball and they got on such a run and Thatcher was such a big part of that run in December that it just felt like, how could we go away from this guy? But the cost was Yaroslav Halak. Like that was the cost. And listen, once again, COVID played a role, right? Because at the moment where you actually did need him and he would have gotten that Spencer Martin opportunity to start three games in a row and to get his feet under him and to establish all the rhythm elements that I think are so important for Yaroslav Halak, he was stuck on the other side of the border because he tested positive too. Mm -hmm. So there's some elements of bad luck here. Um, and because of that COVID test, because he was away for that stretch, he ends up going a month between starts. And now you're in a situation where who knows when he'll get his next one. Um, but it's really easy. You know, I think it's easy to sort of look at the last three starts and be like, oh, my God, like this guy can't play. But like, let's not forget how good he was, despite the fact he was playing less than he would have liked to and less than he traditionally have. He was still managing to get it done. It didn't always look as pretty, but he was finding a way to get through and into and through those games up until that Islander start. And so um, it's, you know, I don't know what the answer is moving forward because clearly they, it's hard to feel like they can go back to the, don't go back to him. Um, and yet at some point you're probably going to have to. And I guess what that, what that will depend on is what does Demko look like? What does he look like tonight? What does he look like on Friday? What does he look like by Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday? Is this every second night, even with the days off? Do you see signs of fatigue? Do you see signs that his game is slipping because you've had to give him those practice days off? Um, and I think if you do see enough of those signs, then maybe we do get Halak before the back-to-backs. But right now, my impression is that's not the plan unless something in Demko's game or body tells you otherwise, you're not going to see Yaroslav Halak before that. No, and I think that's the reality of where we're at, especially with with how much this team really needs every single W here leading into the trade deadline. And, you know, the interesting part of this team, too, this year has been just the conversation around them. What is their identity? How much of this is goaltending? And how much of their success under Boudreaux can be attributed to coaching and also the rest of the team? We've had a lot of combos with you, and you presented great information and data from Clear Size Analytics, which shows the environment hasn't always been very sturdy around Thatcher Demko and Canucks goaltending. So how much of this recent success under Boudreaux should we be attributing to goaltending and how much should we attribute to everything else? I I mean, they've been better as a team, but most of it has been offensively, right? Like they're scoring more. And so they're winning on nights where the goaltending isn't bailing them out. But outside of those two starts with Halak, and I guess the one against Anaheim, like on most nights, the goaltending, like for example, everybody looked at the Toronto game and they're like, well, you know, the Leafs did score four, so it couldn't have been the goalie. Well, the Leafs generated five goals worth of offense and they still only scored four. So was Thatcher Demko stopping bullets in his teeth like he did the night they, they shelled him with 53 shots when the Maple Leafs were here? No, but he's still performing above expected. So they're not getting, you know, they're not getting heart trophy Demko. They don't need that to win, and that's a good sign because they're scoring at the other end. But don't confuse that with him letting in a few more goals with them all of a sudden. Like, they haven't battened down the hatches defensively, that's for sure. Um, they're still giving up a lot of uh, grade-A opportunities. I think 14, uh, 13, sorry, high-percentage chances to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday night. Um, and, yeah, he's not stopping as many of them maybe as he was a couple of weeks ago. But 
it's not like goaltending is letting you down. So they're less reliant on it because, I, I mean, you don't, they've won 8 of 10. You don't do that on goaltending alone. There's going to be nights where the goaltending does win you a game. There's going to be stretches. And I think this is where you get those narratives like timely saves. Like, I think absolutely. Like, there are timely saves. Like, when your team's getting shelled in the first period, and let's, let's be honest, starts have not been a good thing overall for this team for a couple of years. And, and tonight's going to be really interesting in that regard because Montreal is playing really well. And the Canucks are saying all the right things about the importance of this game. I'm fascinated to see how they come out against a, a, a Habs team that's rolling. But, like, Demko completely bailed them out in the first period against the Rangers. Did they play a much better second period? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they don't get out of the first, like, forget up two goals. Both of them are on counterattacks after he makes saves that a lot of goalies don't. And there were five saves that a lot of goalies don't make. And so you're not leaning on him to do everything, but you're still leaning on your goaltending heavily. And I think, you know, the biggest example of that is what happens when he's not in that. Kevin Woodley, our guest here on uh, Canuck Central. Now, last one for you before we let you go. Igor Shosturkin, Hart Trophy. Uh, do you see it for the uh, New York Rangers netminder this year? It's funny because I'm just running the numbers right now because I got to write on this this week for NHL.com. And I was originally sort of my one vote against would be that all the guys that had done it in the past had played a higher percentage of their games. Like they were workhorses as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm wavering on this because, you know, especially when you look at the splits and, and the quality that he's delivering in his start. And if you compare, like, if you look at the extra starts that say Demko or Soros have gotten this year compared to Shishterkin, like, they all have the same number of, like, high-quality starts or stolen games. They're all around. But the difference is the other guys have more sort of where they're average or below average. Like, like the number, the extra starts that Saros and, and Demko have are, are the difference. Those are the, the ones where they haven't been at the same level as they were in the other games. So the question becomes, like, are you punishing Shishterkin because the Rangers have figured out you can't run a guy into the ground? And they have postseason aspirations and they want to make sure this guy is fresh for it. And so he's going to pay closer to 70% of the games. And let's not forget, there's a stretch miss because of COVID and it was 10 days at the time that you had to be out. So I, I don't know that we punish him for that. So, you know, just because that's the trend in the league, do we punish this guy because he didn't play as much as Dominic Hasek did 20 years ago or Carey Price did now seven, eight years ago when he won his Hart Trophy? I'm not sure because the numbers are in the games he does play, like we're talking historical, Mm -hmm. like the second highest raw save percentage in national hockey league history, like Jacques Plante, like when your name is up there with Jacques Plante, that's a pretty good thing. And if you look at the other guys on that list, there's some anomalies. There's some Craig Anderson. There's some Brian Elliott's, but again, they did it in tiny samples where they barely qualified for this thing because they played less than half a season to do it as the number one. Man, like when it comes to goal saved above expected, he's about to lap the field. Like the guy who's 10th in the NHL is around nine, and Shesterkin's almost at 36. So the difference between the top guy in the NHL and the top 10, like the edge of the top 10 list statistically, he's four times better than him from a goal saved perspective. 
he's almost double Demko for crying out loud. And look at how, how good Demko's season. Like, imagine if Demko had double the performance he's having right now. Like, he is literally lapping the field. It's a historic season. I don't think he has a chance because I think most voters say goalies got their own award. The GMs vote on it. Give him the Vesna. He can't have the heart. And I get that conversation too because what Demko's the most valuable player for the Canucks. Like we could have this argument for so many teams where the goalie would be the guy. Mm-hmm. But I just think I don't know where you draw the line on how exceptional the season has to be. But when we're talking about you know one of the greatest seasons of all time potentially for a goaltender just with a few less game, you know, like 10% less of the schedule played, to me, he's, he would be on my ballot if they gave me one. Uh, it's it, Carrying a 940 save percentage for this long is like having a 400 batting average in a, in a baseball season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, it's right? Like, you know, and anything could happen. Like, he's a two-game, you know, he's a two-game skid away from being back in the 930s. But, like, yeah. nine four, like... And that's the thing. When you watch him, I talked to Henrik Lundqvist this week about it this week uh, for, for this piece. And we had, we had there you, if you're goalie geeks out there, Ingo Radio Podcast this week, we'll have <laughs> Henrik Lundqvist for 45 minutes. Um, like, what he, the way he's doing it and how easy he's, he's making it look, like, it's, it's kind of crazy. It really is kind of crazy. And so I think as much as we want to dismiss goalies for heart, like it's hard to ignore what he's doing right now. It's that exceptional. It's him or Matthews right now. Uh, Kevin, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, to carry a 400 batting average in a baseball season, like you've got to be freaking insane you know like you've got a you got to get like two hits a day right essentially yes so it's 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 nuts to be able to do that and it's why it's so rarely happened a 940 save percentage like he's got to save 32 of 34 shots every night or his save percentage goes down it's yeah him having a 930 save percentage is like is, is ruining his numbers yes it's like it's messing with his vibe Oh, man, Shesterkin. Uh What a season he's having. Uh, coming up, the 08 Canucks. When Mike Gillis took over, what he did to get that team towards being a first-place team and what similarities are there to the team Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine have taken over this year to when the Canucks went into their incredible period through the late 2000s and early 2010s. That's next on Canuck Central.